0: G'day. Welcome to Lunch Money. Uh, We are the online and social media home for special situations, workouts and capital raising professionals. My name is Nick Samios. I am the director and fund manager here at Hermes Capital and I am your live stream host. So once again, uh, welcome. Uh, Today's topic is the talent stack. Uh, The talent stack is as defined by Scott Adams in his book, uh, How to Fail at Almost Everything, and still win big. Uh, the talent stack is described as your unique combination of ordinary skills that make you extraordinary. Uh, we're talking about that today because there has been a dislocation in the workplace and the way we work, uh, where we work, how we work. It's all been dislocated by this COVID phenomenon. Uh, we've seen higher salaried roles, so high people on high pay, general management and above. Um, they've come under a lot of fire. Uh, with JobKeeper, JobKeeper's been enough for people to look at their payrolls and say, well, you know, we can afford to keep the admin staff on because JobKeeper pays for most of their salary. But when you're looking at senior managers on $200,000 plus, JobKeeper doesn't quite cut it. And so those, those roles have come under a lot of fire. Uh, likewise, at accounting, legal and other professional firms, uh, the partners of those firms are looking at each other and going, well, who's the rainmaker here and who's the other one who's not really making the rain but at the end of every year I've got to share my profits with them. Um, uh, Yet others uh, are wanting to make a break for it. They're seeing this uh, whole COVID thing and lack of job security and they're saying, you know what, I want to go it alone. I want to escape wages. Uh, I want to go into business for myself uh, one way or another, whatever that might mean. What all of these aspirational people have in common, whether it's the the executive, the partner, or the person wanting to strike out on their own, what they've all uh, got in common is that they need to be able to pitch their worth to their partners, to their bosses, to their prospective employers, uh, or capital providers. And to do that, they need to show that they have the right talent stack. Uh, Before we get to that, let's introduce our guests. And we'll start off with Alex Wilcox. G'day, Alex. How are you? How are you, mate? Very good. Alex uh, is the Managing Director at Human Solutions Group. Uh, Alex does uh, uh, HR consulting uh, and, uh, and placement, executive placement. Uh, Alex, what is it that's been keeping you busy lately?
1: So overall, the COVID's been really interesting. I think, you know, you saw March come along and everyone really slow down and stop. So you really saw the, the brakes get put on recruitment um, the HR sort of business picked up quite dramatically because everyone wanted to know what they could do with their staff. Could they, you know, put them off? Could they, you know, stand them down and, and various things? Then we saw the huge uptick sort of June, July, where we started to see people realise that they could maintain, get back to normal. Um, the remote side of things has is, is really, really got strong. So in, in a global setting now, you, you probably saw Telstra had to sort of re-engineer their entire back office business, and they brought a lot of that business back into Australia. Um so that's kept a few people both within our business and in other other areas very busy um, and then I guess the e commerce space so e commerce has probably been our big uptick uh, in the last two or three months. we've started to see a lot more people building e commerce platforms, businesses, and opportunities there and then and then, on a commercial sense, there's a very large organization in adelaide that's software based um, in risk management and they are expanding both here and internationally and and the, the risk space seems to be quite quite attractive, as is the uh, at home, anything to do with at home technology is uh, is kind of booming. So they're the areas that are keeping us busy at the moment. Uh, but uh, but overall, I think from a, from a market positioning, uh, there are a lot more people in market than we've seen for a long time, uh, and our uh, our inboxes are filling up with high high quality candidates. So there's a lot of time chatting to very very good people at the moment.
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting you say that. Uh, I think I was telling you earlier that a colleague of mine's been uh, recruiting for a general manager position and he's been inundated uh, with high quality candidates, which we'll, we'll get to in a moment. Uh, are you saying that there's a trend for onshoring, bringing offshore jobs back onshore? Is that, is that what you just said? Yeah,
1: so you've seen a lot of onshoring from major corporates. So very, very large corporates are now looking at what their strategy was and what they can do. Um, and also there's an onshoring strategy in terms of regional strategy. So, if you're looking at regional opportunities, there's a lot more regional opportunities because of the fact that we've all gone to to video and th- those opportunities didn't exist you know six months ago twelve months ago and people are much more comfortable with someone not being in the
0: office and has have have has anything surprised you during during this period uh, you know are there particular types of roles that that maybe have, have surprised you that that they've suddenly you know uh, been more of or less of or um, uh,
1: I think that, like, not not so, like the general, you, you kind of hit the sort of spot there, that general management mid-market spot in those mid-tier companies where you know, you're a $200, $500 million business, you've seen a lot of those people um, get hurt. Media has been the big, you know, a lot of the media companies have been hurt really badly. You saw what happened with Media and a range of organisations like that where their share price went from $4 to about $0.80 cents and then they had to get investment from Macquarie to survive and then they got that investment and then they've sort of seen a bit of a a tick back up, but they're sort of probably, you know, sitting on half their workforce um, that they were before previously and the, and the money's got to be looked at seriously in terms of those wages. So that's been interesting. I guess surprisingly um, some of the FMCG businesses that we thought were going really well because they were selling out stock and doing really well in, in Woolworths and Coles were actually losing a lot of money. So that was quite an interesting. That was quite surprising because, you know, they couldn't get stock to their warehouses offshore, their shipping costs went up, Aussie dollar was moving around all over the place. And they weren't getting much relief, so that was really quite an interesting
0: thing, actually. And uh, I mean, you've had uh, you, you've had Human Solutions Group since two thousand and four. Right. Is that right? You've had it for some time. Yeah. Yeah, um, so, so you've lived through the GFC. Yeah. Uh, I mean, do you think this is you know same again, or it's it's
1: very different? I think you could see an actual reason why, and then it wasn't affecting all markets. I think at the moment you've got a sort of a four or five tiered sort of situation. Uh, if you look at Melbourne, obviously Melbourne's a little bit of overshot given what happened, but that uh, hospitality, retail and travel markets have been severely impacted. They're probably at the at, at the worst issue. Hospitality, though, interesting enough, they're probably struggling to find staff in that lower end market because all uh, the visa-based staff went back home. So you saw a huge outpouring of staff and then obviously people can't come in. So there's a there's a bit of a gap in that middle space and especially within chefs. So they're kind of struggling to fill yeah. those gaps and you'll see you'll see that come more and more and more the more people that are able to get back into cbds and other areas and then if you look at that sort of middle space that services space they've probably been quite quite impacted as you said before the legal insolvency guys they're all sitting there ready to go and now they're not going to get to go till probably january maybe march depending what happens with the chain and and then at the top end you've seen that all the um, at-home internet work and everything the way you get at home market has just exploded
0: all right. Okay. Well, thank you for all of that. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to pop you back in the waiting room and I'm just going to introduce our next guest, Liam Bailey. Hi, Nick. G'day, Liam. How are you going?
2: Well, and yourself?
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. Liam is a partner at O'Brien Palmer Insolvency and Business Recovery. Um, tell me, uh, Liam, what, what's what been keeping you busy of late?
2: Yeah, look, uh, we're uh, largely in a preparation phase for what's considered to be the, uh, the coming insolvency tsunami um now in saying that uh, it's been sort of recognized that the various government initiatives have helped keep a lot of businesses afloat through the economic crisis a lot of those initiatives and stimulus are coming to an end um and all the experts are predicting that there is going to be a wave of insolvencies that need to be dealt with whether that's winding up businesses rehabilitating turning around businesses and debt relief type packages Um, And so we're expecting that in the new year. So uh, what I've been doing this week is spending a lot of time talking to our referral and business partners about how they can best be ready to uh, service their clients uh, next year um, and to be ready for the challenges that are going to be coming ahead in the the new year.
0: And uh, so you're you're confident uh, early new year? I ask this of everybody I speak to. You know, is it going to be towards June? Is it going to be January, maybe even December?
2: Yeah, look. Uh, all of the every expert's got a bit of a different opinion on when this is going to drop. The only thing they seem to be able to agree on is that it's going to at some point. There's been a lot of talk about JobKeeper propping up zombie businesses. You sort of hear a lot of that in the press. Um, but from speaking to people uh, and what we know about insolvency statistics is that the number one uh, issue that causes people to actually come and fo- uh, take advice about solvency issues in their business is some sort of pressure point like a threat of or actual risk of being wound up uh, someone applying uh, pressure to the business through the courts Um, so rather than being the winding back of JobKeeper that's going to bring this about I believe that it's going to be the return to normal debt recovery processes through the filing of statutory demands The government initiative that made it so that you could have six months to respond to a stat demand filed against you um, made it very, very difficult to to apply pressure in debt collection. Similarly, with the banks, the ATOs and landlords holding off from enforcing debts, there was very little pressure being applied to businesses to actually deal with the solvency issues. And the lack of certainty meant that even if you did get in and deal with solvency issues being identified, uh, it could be that you'd find yourself back in the exact same boat that you're in six months ago or three months ago, before things started to actually turn around and happen to do it all again. So my personal prediction is going to be is when the courts reopen in the new year, people will start filing stat demands in the ordinary course, and that'll actually bring everybody to the table where they have to deal with the issues that have been building up.
0: I wonder. Uh, I guess what's the what's the precursor to that? Is a precursor to that when when you get people asking, giving you consents to act? We've
2: been speaking to um, accountants and advisors over the last weeks. Um, they're starting to see an uptick in people coming in, bringing their books and records up to date, bringing their statutory lodgements, their tax returns up to date, and their BASs up to date, and actually coming to grips with what their business their the business circumstances are. Um, And we usually do see, whenever there is a spike in insolvency, that the advisors are being contacted by directors four to six, maybe even eight weeks before it actually filters through to people taking action. So there has been an uptick in that now, um, and I think it's likely to coincide with the new year. All
0: right. Well, that's interesting. Okay, look, we will bring uh, Alex back um alex uh, you've you've done some uh, placement in in the insolvency sector. Uh, you know there's been a lot of talk about uh, insolvency firms um, maybe you know whether or not there's enough of them for for this tsunami supposedly that's going to happen. Um, i mean do you do, are you sort of getting ready for, for for recruiting for those sorts of roles and uh, what 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 is it that that you think people are looking for?
1: Yeah, so some of the clients we've been chatting to, which was, so in the the GFC, if I look back at the GFC, uh, a lot of customers came to us because they had a nice insolvency firm, but they had too much work. So we ended up putting in finance heads, general managers, and people to run businesses that they were taking over, as opposed to them having all their staff tied up in three or four different management pieces. So we'd actually put contractors into all those various organisations. So I've got probably three clients at the moment we're speaking to about doing that. Uh, a couple particularly in Perth and quite a few uh, in New South Wales. So that that's kind of where that's at. I think, you know, if, if I look back, you know, as we sort of discussed earlier, the Insolvency guys geared up quite aggressively uh, April, May with the expectation that come June they'd be able to go. So a few of them have let guys go. And that talent sort of stack, talent pool piece is something that I'd, I'd highly recommend if they haven't done it already, that they should be extending offers to a range of people at the moment with a with a flexible start date that would give them a better chance of picking people up now quickly so if they know the work's coming. And from what I gather from people I've been discussing it with, you know, there are a lot of stat demands out there for money um, in terms of what people are chasing, and, uh, and they're going to hit and then they're going to be wound up. So at that point in time, people are going to have to hire and then some of these guys are going to come in quite hard.
0: So your, your advice is don't, don't wait till January, February. Uh, you, you're going to need to start, start looking for people now.
1: Well, if you're in an insolvency business, I'd be, be actively hiring them now so you know where you're coming. But having said that, the, the vaccine piece I think, does change the game a little bit because I think you will start to see, you know, a, a big, you know, potentially more concession from the government if you do see the vaccine looking like it's going to land by February or March, if it's realistic. I don't know if that's realistic, but if you see that, I think you might again see them push it back um, with a view that hopefully they can, yeah, people can get over the, the hurdle.
0: Right. And uh, what, what do you think, Liam? I mean, talking to your colleagues, uh, you know, you, you said that obviously this recent period for you has been uh, a bit of a build-up. Uh, is, that, is that what you're seeing across the industry?
2: Yeah, look, across the industry, insolvency appointments are down around about 65 to 70% compared with what we were looking at last year. Um, and that is uh, primarily because there's a lack of enforcement happening. Um, the industry is going through similar phases of uncertainty, we're gearing up for um, some new insolvency processes that are coming through as the government's announced the uh, insolvency law reform, um, with an idea that we'll be focusing on business turnaround and rehabilitation in the new year, hopefully far more than we will be on terminal insolvencies like liquidation. There is going to be a shortage of talent. There's been a lot of questions about whether or not there are enough liquidators. I think it's a very interesting question when all of our industry bodies like ASIC, ARITA and ASSA uh, have been saying that we need practitioners to be delegating work to staff at an appropriate skill level Um, and I actually think the shortage is not going to be in bankruptcy trustees and liquidators, it's going to be in experienced and talented staff supporting the the liquidators and trustees that are already there. Uh, There has been a shortage in talent in this space for quite some time Um, so we're gearing up a lot at the moment in terms of training our staff up, making sure that they're ready, that they've got the capacity to deal with the insolvency wave we're certainly looking and being uh, open to uh, new talent coming into the firm, um, but at the same time, we're fully prepared to understand that understand there might be a very strong spike and a shortage of uh, talented candidacy around, so we may have to have our staff ready to supervise and train up staff that don't have specific insolvency experience, um, but can bring their own other background experience to the table and work in the industry.
0: Yeah interesting I guess um, you know we, we say in our business as well you need people who can get the work and you need people who can do the work and I suppose if there's going to be a tsunami of insolvencies and corporate restructuring generally not just insolvency but you don't necessarily need a rainmaker if, the, if you know you don't you don't need more rainmakers uh, you need more, more people that are actually doing the work. Alex do you think um, it, 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 when you've seen these sorts of uh, times before have you seen liftouts are we are we going to see lift outs in the insolvency sector you know where whole teams are uh, recruited
1: if the volume's there absolutely it's a great idea it's an opportunity that I think a lot of people should have a serious consideration about and also with the smaller firms there's an opportunity potentially for them, some of them to either merge together or do something effective so they can't compete at the bigger end of town because that's something that I have seen um, been very effective in law um, previously and obviously you've start you've actually seen quite a few things happen. This year within the banking market, you've seen quite a few interesting liftouts happen. Um, yeah. So just just
0: explain what a liftout is. I've, I've just liftout is
1: you either aggressively target a specific team in an organisation. So if there's a, a a partner, two managers, you know, three senior associates, an associate, and a and an admin team, and you pick up that entire team and move them to another organisation in, in the one go.
0: Um, yeah, there's been a lot of that in the law in the law profession this year, hasn't there? Not
1: in the law profession this year, and, and, yeah. and a significant amount in financial services.
0: Yeah, I suppose if you're good at it, uh, if you're good at arranging that sort of stuff, I mean, someone like you, Alex, I suppose yeah. there's going to be people that love you and people that hate you. Is that is that a fair comment?
1: That's a very fair comment. Um, <laughs> there's, there's a reason, people.
0: Well, let's, let's get to this concept of a talent stack. I mean, obviously, you know, roles are different. But one of the things I was asking you a little bit before we started, um, Liam, is, you know, what when you're, I mean, it's not just about people that you employ on your payroll, but it's also about people that you engage. For example, insolvency people engage lawyers. Um, you know, do you, what are the sorts of things that, that you look at, for example, before you engage a lawyer? Obviously, relationship comes into it. But what are some of the other things that you're looking for and the qualities of someone that you give work out to?
2: Yeah, look, relationships relationship certainly does come into it because um, people's reputation in our industry, particularly um, I think here in, in, in Sydney or anywhere in Australia, um, we work in a small industry and we all tend to know each other or of each other. Um, so reputation carries a lot. Um, I'm more interested in the reputation that people have for the type of work they do being appropriate to the task. There are certain lawyers around town uh, that you'll want to engage for particular tasks. So if you're looking to do a a complicated issue that's uh, on the finer points of tax law, there are lawyers. If you want someone who's going to go in and kick in the door and make a really strong impact and be bullish, there are other lawyers. So we're very much about having sure that we've got um, a broad array of skill sets, not only in the staff that we hire, but um, in our business associates, the people that we engage in and our work referrers.
0: And what, what um, I mean, what, what are some of the skill areas that you think might be most lacking? Um, you know, like, do, do you sometimes, like, let's say you've got a good, a good, and I don't want to pick on lawyers, and I apologize to all the lawyers that are watching, but, you know, you know sometimes you might have a really good lawyer. Are there, are there any particular skills, you know, if only they were better at, you know, is there anything that you think that there's a gap?
2: Um, The lawyers who have a solid understanding and grounding in finance and accounting principles uh, are few and far between, um, and those that do have the ability to uh, interpret financial data um, are highly sought after and in demand in our industry. So saying that, there's a a lot of uh, lawyers that know insolvency law, uh, and they're good litigators, they're good mediators and negotiators that can work out commercial outcomes. But a lot of them won't understand the finer points of uh, reviewing a set of accounts um, and what that actually means as evidence for the claims that they're pursuing.
0: And what do you think, Alex? I mean, what are some of the skills? I mean, when you're looking at placing people, you you know, obviously it looks like now you're going to have a luxurious position of having a choice of candidates, which means really it's going to be harder for those candidates to to stand out. I mean, what are some of the important skills that you think they're missing? I mean, I'm thinking of stuff like obviously networking is so important in professional services. Um, You know, I know that, uh, you know, both you guys, I know personally are are very, very good at at networking. It's just a matter of of actually doing, doing the work i don't think there's necessarily any magic to it i think it's just make a commitment to uh to, to building your network you know networks you know communication skills presentation skills i mean what are the, what are the things alex that you think people need to have to stand out aside from having the technical skills
1: yeah so all the things you've touched on there i think are very important communications um impact to to the market the thing that's that's most interesting is that there's still going to be a, a gap in the people that are actually in jobs Clients are still going to not necessarily want the person that's in market. They're going to want yeah, the best person across the entire market. Um, so, it's, so it's the on-market versus targeted market conversation. To stand out, though, it really is that, that network. They want to buy your skill set, but they want to buy what you bring to the organisation, very much a, a cultural and, and personal fit, but also a client fit in legal. They want to actually understand you, understand their clients, you understand their market, you fit their organisation, but, but more so that you're, you're across their base as well. So I think it's very important to think about the client base that you represent, who you who you're involved with, and also that networking piece is also extremely important to think about. Okay, if I'm going to network myself into a job, um, this is the time to do it. If there's now twenty five thousand other lawyers looking in my same area, um, and and
0: and how do you extend that out? I mean, going again, I didn't want to pick on lawyers, so you know, financial, you know, bankers. You know, I, I know that you've you've worked, uh, you've recruited for uh, for various uh, banks. Yeah. Uh, for example, I mean, how how does it change for them? So
1: again, in in the retail mid banking space, that 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 middle level, that two hundred thousand to three hundred thousand dollar candidate, um, you, you're going to start. You're seeing a lot more of those. Again, it's a question around reskilling, re opportunity. Looking at some of the remote work that's out there, uh, but also then trying to focus in on what are you very good at. Breaking down your skill sets into different areas, as opposed to I am just a retail banker in this one section or this one bank. Um, you're also starting to see a lot more people that you know make decisions to move careers as opposed to getting stuck in the same organisation for 15 or 20 years because when they come out, they do find it quite challenging to make a big move, especially if they get made redundant.
0: Okay. And, Liam, uh, when you're looking for candidates, uh, for example, uh, are you looking, I mean, ha, ha, what, what's the role of, say, credentials, for example? Uh, yeah.
2: Look, interestingly, the insolvency industry has always drawn uh the majority of the people that are working in insolvency firms from out of the accounting discipline and accounting background um myself i was going to be a lawyer um, and have a law degree Uh, and after i accidentally started working in insolvency i had to go back and actually get some of those accounting qualifications because they were important but they weren't what drew me to the job Um, the insolvency industry is very much a role that requires knowledge of the law of business of marketing end of accounting as only one of the the disciplines that sort of come into play. So when we are looking at recruiting staff, we're looking for a broad array of talent. Um, At O'Brien Palmer, we have people working here with a background um, in business, with accounting as part of that rather than straight accounting. Uh, We have people with legal backgrounds. uh, We have people with IT and marketing backgrounds. So um, a really broad array of talents and, 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 and disciplines that come in. Generally, though, uh, we have to remember that in the insolvency industry, we are representing creditors, uh, we're working out results for stakeholders, we are providing a service. Uh, And so I tend to meet with candidates. I'm looking for people with uh, big personalities, strong personalities, forthright personalities uh, who have more of a work experience. Even a customer service experience can really come into play in making them effective insolvency practitioners, it allows them to bring that skill set together in a much more practical way than uh, you can determine or or find out just by looking at applications. Okay.
0: Um, Alex, I was mentioning to you earlier that uh, I had a a friend of mine uh, who he actually actually runs their own business, uh, said to me, listen, I'm thinking of getting an MBA because I'm wanting to take on some more complex work and, uh, you know, that, that was that was his primary motivation. I mean, where, where do you, are you encouraging people to do higher level education, MBAs, master's degrees?
1: Fundamentally all education is good education. So if someone is looking to do that and advance themselves and get themselves ahead, it's well worth doing. It's just thinking about what you're actually trying to achieve from it. So if you're trying to achieve the upskill yourself for your own personal needs, fantastic. If you're looking to do it for a network or commercial point of view, which is always what a lot of people do the MBA for, it's it's very much about picking the school and picking the, picking the cohort that you'll do it with because there's no point doing a, an MBA online um, off-market if it's not actually going to get you anywhere or further ahead. If you're on your own business, it might be something that you want to do um, to make yourself um, to give yourself some more um, external access to people and other, you know, other other learnings that you don't necessarily get because you've got no one to report to, or, or bounce off. But again, from a hiring point of view, you know, it, it's a skill set piece when you hit a certain point in your career. So people are looking right. at that skill set. It might it might add value. There's some US and, and UK firms that very much have that as a criteria, and you might not get past it. So if you are looking to get into certain organisations, that is a it can be a critical factor. But if you look at most technology companies these days, you know the education piece is nowhere near as high as it used to be. It's much more about what the skill set is, what they've done, where they've been, you know, who you've been interacting with. Um, from a company owner, it's probably well worth doing the um, ARCD course, um, yes. the director's course. That'll probably give them a much more clear suite of actually the skills that they need to run a business and, and get some advantages around that. Um, and again, the network they'd pick up from that will probably get them more business that they want in that market anyway.
0: I wonder, uh, Liam. Uh, you know, as we go into the new year, uh, we were talking before that I think there's going to be uh, a lot of. Uh, I just wonder whether a lot of those senior management roles may actually disappear altogether. I'm not talking about insolvency now, but I'm talking maybe in just in the in the community more generally. You know, people have, as they've had to look at their look at their uh, P and L you know, they've gone, well, maybe maybe we only need three of those instead of seven of them. Um, you know, I, I guess when, you know, when you start getting into corporate restructuring next year, you know, what do you think the outlook's going to be for, for middle for and middle senior managers?
2: Well, I think uh, you, the people are going to need to be on their toes. Um, O'Brien Palmer being an example of what we did during uh, the COVID-related economic downturn. We had a lot of time on our hands, and so we spent a lot of time upgrading our systems, um, going through our processes, uh, working out the best way for us to do the job, increasing efficiencies while we had the time to actually spend on those sorts of on the business itself uh, to work out how we can work more efficiently during this period and how we can be ready for the challenges in the new year. And that's just one business. I think across the board. Uh, businesses have been using this this opportunity or this time uh, to, to look at all these sorts of issues. There have, we do know that people have been spending money on implementing new computing systems, um, reforming their business processes, uh, changing the way that their staff report uh, and communicate with each other. So I think there are going to be a lot of roles and a lot of people in those sorts of roles that are, in the literal sense of the word, redundant um, in the new year.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, Alex. I mean, I I worry about some of those, you know, particularly people, you know, particularly people my age, for example. I suppose, I mean, we're you know if we, we are going to struggle uh, if we suddenly find ourselves out of work and trying to compete, uh, you know, for for those for those, uh, you know, presumably there'll be fewer of these senior olds and more people applying for them.
1: So if you're young and you're, you're just finishing school or you're getting to the point where you're sort of last year of uni. The key with with most people when they're looking to hire a graduate is the extracurricular piece they do and also getting some work experience. So go and you know get someone to come and work in, in with you, Nick, come and work with us, yeah. You know. Um the, the key is getting some formal work experience so you can actually add that through. The other thing is technology at the moment is is so um is, is the market that the, the opportunities are presenting themselves in. So if you if you are you know slightly interested in coding, you've got a, a little bit of knowledge around that space, it's something well worth getting. Um, so anything to do with with, with tech is, is pretty key. And, again, looking at the very large organisations, the uh, the PWCs, the KPMGs and, and the like in professional services, they are still running graduate programs. They are worth looking at. But if you can't do that, then definitely look towards second tier, third tier businesses where you can get a start or an opportunity as, a, as an intern for short amounts of period just so when you do turn up for the job, there's something that stands you apart from someone else.
0: Although you were saying earlier, I've got one of my kids' handy in the kitchen. You were saying there'll be a shortage of chefs.
2: There's a (laughs) shortage right now. Counterpoint to that. Um, We see within the people that come in for jobs here, uh, that you've got a lot of people who are very intelligent. Uh, They have a lot of knowledge uh, from from their studies and their academic progression. But across the board in lots of industries, one of the things that we're seeing is that there are a lot of people who have specialized to the point um, that their knowledge is no longer accessible um, for a commercial enterprise. Now, you see that with uh, people talking about medical, med students coming through, have lost the ability to, um, they're so knowledgeable about medical science, but they've lost the ability to diagnose issues. There are a plethora of um, heaps and heaps of IT graduates out there. The people who are getting ahead in IT businesses are able to explain complicated IT concepts and turn them into practical solutions. So as much as I think it's very important that we have the knowledge behind us, But um, there is a a real risk that we're losing the ability to communicate effectively. Uh, And I think that communication is key in a services industry. So I I very much really encourage people to to not only specialise in a particular area um, of knowledge that they want to take out into the industry, but don't forget about how you actually commercialise that. Be able to speak to people, be able to listen to people. Be able to diagnose problems and implement solutions in a way that people can relate to and understand because there are a lot of people that are losing um these sorts of effective communication skills as they start to come into the workplace
0: you know um you've just given an excellent reason why people should watch lunch money right to the end because we always seem to get these chestnuts right at the end and you've just given uh, a very valuable uh a very very valuable item to, for people to have in their talent stack and that is the ability to explain complex ideas I think is what you more or less said there you know whether or not I think you said uh, medical field but, but that can also apply to insolvency or law or whatever it is um, Alex how would you how, how would you advise people to go about trying to uh, learn how to explain complex ideas
1: I think start with knowledge that you have and then leverage it into you know, into other areas and I think the biggest problem with most people when they interview or, or they run an interview, a lot of people try and script themselves. Um, so it's having that ability to go off script and off, and, and move with the question. Um, so I'd say people need to spend more time actually chatting to people in and around their field so they can go off script if they're younger. Um, if they're sort of, you know, at the second part of their working life or they're, they're moving and changing careers, I really would recommend that they, they think about, how they communicate, especially now that everyone's going towards this kind of interaction, um, the video piece is getting is getting significant. So if someone sends someone a link and they can't actually access it, and those sort of things, it's it's a bit of a concern for an employer. So I think they wanted to upgrade their their personal tech skills as well to make sure that they're actually able to interact and be effective in market. So I guess I guess the big takeaway I'd say to people from a communications point of view talk to your friends and family, actually engage with people prior to interviewing so you're actually in that market you'll actually understand what you're doing and make sure you're across general day-to-day issues, world issues and other things so you can have a conversation about a specific topic but also about a range of other things.
0: Interesting. Uh, one, one of your uh, industry colleagues from Perth, uh, Deanne Tyndale, makes the comment uh, that, that basically agreeing with what, you, what you've just said but also saying that being able to bring real energy. Uh, I suppose. And I always see real energy as being uh, a little bit biological. I think you've got to, you know, make sure you're nourished and getting sleep. Uh, I, I know that sounds ridiculously simple, but, uh, you know, that's that, that's a basic thing as well. Listen, we're running out of time, so uh, I'll just ask you each for your, your final thoughts on the topic of people uh, building their talent stacks. Well, I'll start with you, Liam.
2: Yeah, if you're building talent stacks, I think uh You're engaging with people um, that you're relating with. Um, You can't fake that sincerity in in this area. So really being able to engage with people actually comes with being genuinely interested in what people have got to say and what they can do and how you can be of use to them and they can be of use to you and we can all be mutually beneficial. You can't fake that level of interest. So I think um, people have to be genuine uh, in the way that they communicate, people have to have a genuine interest in what they're doing and the people around them if they want to create networks of employees, business referers, um, and other contacts that are going to be to, to the mutual for mutual benefit.
0: Okay, nice one. I would just add to that that uh, you know if you're if you're younger. Uh, I mean, I I would consider my network to be to be excellent, but it doesn't happen overnight. I mean, I've been building my network since my twenties. You need to you need to get onto it early, uh, because you can't you can't instantly manufacture a ten year relationship. Uh, You know, if you want a ten year relationship today, you need to have started that relationship ten years ago. Uh, Alex, what are your what are your final thoughts on the subject?
1: Yeah, I'd agree entirely with with the energy piece, and also um, coming back to network. Build your network for what you want to be. A lot of people don't set goals of what their talent needs to be. So they know they're very good at X and they're not good at Y. If they want to become better at Y, set goals to increase that piece in their their own personal skill set. And also, you know, have a really good think if you're an organization at the moment, looking at your talent stack and what you've actually got and what's missing about going to market now, because it's never been a better time for people to actively engage with people in market because they're at home, they're not sitting next to their boss in the workplace. And there's an opportunity for people to talk to people and target organisations or businesses that they want to bring talent into their organisation to increase the talent stack of their own organisation. So really think about extending offers to people early in that space so you can actually pick them up next year because while we will see the big uh, insolvency hit in Australia with the vaccine and the other piece, we could see a substantial, I guess, blitz in uh, in opportunities coming sort of towards the, the mid to end of next year. Uh, and then also on, on top of that, I think people should be very aware of the talent they already have in their organisations and make sure they're nurturing and looking after that because you don't want to lose your talent stack of people that are actually existing when the market does turn around.
0: Okay. Well, I would uh, I would add a topic that we didn't quite get to. I wanted to get to the subject of talent stack. When it comes to acquisition, we've just launched a new a new finance product for capital raising, and uh, we're finding that a lot of people are coming to us are looking to actually to use it to buy businesses, which was what not quite what we expected. But that's another avenue of people sort of shifting out of the workplace. We're going to leave it there. So uh, thank you very much, uh, uh, Liam Bailey, partner at O'Brien o- o- uh, Partner uh, Palmer, and uh, Alex Wilcox from Human Solutions. Thank you. So so much guys for joining us
1: thanks
0: Nick. okay and thank you to everybody uh watching and listening uh later on thank you very much we'll see you next time